Welcome to Eventful Brighton, where we bring you notable stories and events from in and around Brighton. If you want to keep your finger on the pulse in Brighton, or you want to know what's happening in Brighton from afar, then you're in the right place. Come with me as I get under the skin of Brighton, its people, its places, and its events. Eventful Brighton is brought to you by wireworldproductions.com. Spent the day at the University of Sussex, which is in Falmer, right on the edge of Brighton, and they were doing an event called Ingenious, which is where lots of the clever bods from the university basically allow you to look around and see what they're doing. So you can see all scientists at work and sort of PhDs at work. Started off by speaking to the dean of the school, whose name is Ben Dabule. And I asked him how it all started and what it was all about. A number of different reasons. One is to link into the local community. Another is to link with local businesses. Um, another is to link with schools. We've invited um, a whole lot of science teachers and careers teachers here. And we're not really talking about our courses. We want to say, look, we're doing science and technology here. Um, and we've invited other people in the university. So it's partly internal PR as well as external PR. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that other people in the university will come here and find out what goes on in science and technology. Brilliant. And we've invited, a, we had a, a, a big guest list, invited lots of, lots of companies, people from the research councils in Swindon mm-hmm. um, who pay for some of the work that's going on. So they probably want to come and see how we're doing. Yeah. Uh, What's been nice about it is, is that, that you know, everybody in the school has really mucked in together and got on with it. Mm. Last year we did this for just one department and the year before that we did it just for one research group in a department. So we've gone from a research group to a department to a school right. and we're hoping this is now the first of uh, a series, whether it will be annual or whether it will be um, less frequently than that, I don't know yet. We'll have to see. We'll have so to is this is the first one? This is the first one that right. we've done as a school. I right. mean, the university restructured about five years ago and made big schools out of five big schools out of ten small schools and we and this is the first one that's been done it's the first school that has tried to do it so it's an experiment and who knows how it's going to work out well, well, well I wish you the best luck. so how does it work today then does it um, is it like sort of a trail that you go around it's a mixture it's a mixture of a trail and events so there is a trail which will take you um, into uh, computer science also into mathematics you can go up to see various parts of engineering and also parts of physics together with it. There's a degree show for our product design students who are in there who've, who've just built their, their, their degree show objects and they are being judged today but there's also a programme of talks in the lecture theatre here right. which is itself a nice it's been uh, newly refurbished. It was part of the original Spence buildings that this campus is famous for. Okay, so having heard that, I decided that I was going to go on these tours, but before I went, I couldn't resist it because I saw this guy in the corner standing next to a bunch of pictures of spacecraft, and I just can't resist space, so I, I just had to go and check it out. To, to tell you how the space weather affects near-Earth space, and the, especially the near-Earth space where manned activities are all taking place. Well, that was Professor Paul Goff of the University of Sussex. Paul, um, we presented with a very interesting um, display of uh, various um, space equipment. Yes. Can you tell us exactly what it is you're doing? Right, well, we're studying space weather, and space weather is where events on the sun create flows of material from the sun, where these locks of material come out and they, they hit the Earth's magnetosphere, which is the magnetic region around the Earth, compress it, 
and cause lots of effects like the aurora borealis which you're familiar with and also they can also produce effects um, on local spacecraft they can have a detrimental effect on the computer memory and the computer operating systems of spacecraft you can knock out uh, the memory cells you can convert a naught to a one which in most computer yeah. programs if you change the computer program that much you would t- totally screw up serious problem yeah indeed um, besides the we also have effects on astronauts of course which are the obvious ones but one of the one of the effects which is less known to the man in the street is the fact that we produce increased currents in the ionosphere and those massive flows of current in the upper regions of the Earth's atmosphere called the ionosphere they induce a bit like a transformer mm. induce currents in the Earth Now, where you have long transmission lines of electrical wires for electrical distribution grids, you can induce massive currents which can blow out transformers. And uh, there was one transformer in a nuclear power station in the States which was blown out. By space weather? By space weather. And you know, imagine a nuclear power station. If it had gone a bit further into the system, it could have been disastrous. So do you design the actual spacecraft, or do you design the sort of sensors that go in them? We design the sensors. We have a sensor going up next year on the um, this space station. Uh, it's going to go into an international collaboration of the experiments uh, which involve inst- institutes in Russia, Bulgaria, the UK, Hungary, Poland, Ukraine and Sweden. We're studying the way in which the space station interacts with its environment. And this uses the latest electronics to get a much higher level of information and higher scientific exploitation of the data that we produce. Now I have to say, that is pretty scary, that space weather can cause the transformer in a nuclear reactor to go wrong. Anyway, I decided I was going to go on one of these tours, so off I went. And the first person we spoke to was a very lively chap, very enthusiastic, very interesting guy, talking all about using individual atoms to make a computer processor. His name was Dr. Winfried Hensinger, lecturer in atomic, molecular and optical physics. Basically what we're trying to do is build a new type of computer, but it's not just a small amendment of, of, say, an Intel processor. It works basically, the, the process we try to develop, it works in a physics theory called quantum mechanics. And what we do is we use single atoms to, to form the quantum bits. This dot is actually a single atom. And these atoms we have perfect control over. This picture shows you how we can shuttle one of these ions around a corner, which is kind of a, one of the operations you'd have to do to bring atoms from a memory region, like in a, in a normal computer, to, to an entanglement or to a gate region, basically. And so this is, this is one aspect what we do. The other aspect what we're working on is to build chips, basically to, to integrate all these elements which have been implemented previously on a microchip. And this is actually our first uh, operating microchip here. You can see uh, this is made out of gallium arsenide. So each of these cantilevers may, uh, forms an electrode. We apply voltage to these electrodes, and by doing so we can produce electric fields inside the center here where we can then trap uh, individual atoms. And what we've done in this lab too is we develop ways how to separate these, these ions. So you can, for example, then take these two and move one over there and keep one here. In fact, would we, we're the first ones in the world to make a three-point turn. So basically, you, you, you do this. 
Do you have to go on an atom driving test? <laughs> indeed, indeed. So what, 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 we had a lot of competitions in, 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 in our yeah. lab. In our, who could do the fastest three-pointer? And... But what about quantum effects? Isn't there uncertainty when you get to these small scales? And so that's the beauty about the system, that the, quantum, the, the quantumness of the iron actually can be shielded for a long, long time. For example, one thing we do in, this, uh, in, in iron trappings, we name our irons. So, so each of them gets, gets, gets a name. And it tells you something about how resilient these atoms are. So we can keep an iron around for, for, for days, for months sometimes. And, you know, so, so they get names. And, you know, and, 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 and then you release them into the wild again. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Every, every so often we do that. You know? we, don't, we don't want to keep them in captivity, captivity for too long. That's amazing. A quantum computer could actually solve many problems in modern state science exactly in, in, in a fashion which no other computer could have ever done it or will ever be able to do it out of over fundamental reasons. So, so life, as we know, will, will change quite drastically if, if these things are successful. But having said that, I mean, there's still, I would say, five to ten years till you see the first large-scale quantum computer. Peter Smith. Well, let me try and explain in very simple terms what we're about here. This is the name of the project, EDM of the Neutron, Electric Dipole Moment. What is the electric dipole moment? Well, you probably know that neutrons are electrically neutral. Even so, it's generally considered that they have equal but opposite charges in them. And of course, you can envisage that if those charges were separated by a little bit, then this neutron would have some sort of electrical properties. If a neutron were the size of the Earth, then the current limit for the measurement of that charge separation is 10 microns, 10 millionths of a meter, so tiny, see? Well, how do we make these measurements? Cold neutrons from the reactor are guided uh, towards our apparatus. They are polarized, then they're cooled even further so then they're very cold, and they're literally moving at an odd metre a second. So it's very easy then, well, it's straightforward then, to keep them but in, into the experiment cells. And there they are then. Imagine these ultra-cold neutrons. Uh, spin is polarised. And then all we do is apply high voltage across a particular cell where the neutrons are. And it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if these uh, neutrons have some sort of electrical property and you suddenly put 400 kilovolts or a field corresponding to 400 kilovolts across it, their spin or their uh, polarization may change. And that's, that's what the measurement's about. So what are the applications of this? Oh, nuclear magnetic resonance? Uh, Imaging? No, no. Understanding the universe? <laughs> it is, yes, to be serious, to, to treat your question seriously, it, it is fundamental research. So no, we, it would be quite wrong to pretend that there is a practical application. Sadly, I would sleep better if there were, but no, it's fundamental. Of course it is. So let me get this right. A, a neutron has a tiny separation of charge, like a polarity, and you're, you're, you're basically make, spinning it by applying a high voltage. Am I on the right track? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it isn't clear that there is a small separation. If we end up saying, yes, there is, it is between these limits, 
then that certainly will affect the way uh, theories develop, sure. Presently, all we say is, look, if there is a separation, it's less than, well, what we said. That proportion, that yes. massive proportion. Yes, yeah. yes, it's less than that. And so what this experiment is about is making that uncertainty, it tends to be called an uncertainty, uh, smaller and smaller and smaller. If we do end up with a residual EDM, that will that'll be quite important from a theoretical point of view. Well, absolutely it's important because as we walked away from his laboratory, the chap who was showing us round on the tour just happened to mention that the work he was doing was revealing information that was on the cutting edge of current string theory. That was my mind blowing. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll come back with completely black eyes. No, I'll, I'll take. I'll, I'll yeah, it's got to be used in a certain way. Oh, okay. So no, no interesting transits of planets no, going across no, at the moment, or? Because most people are so interested, they're so used to seeing Hubble pictures that when they see <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. a little telescope, <laughs> they expect to see that through yeah, an ordinary telescope, yeah, don't they? Just, just make sure that it's, it's in the best place. They expect to see the Eagle Nebula through a terrestrial right. telescope. And you, don't, you don't see that very often through a little telescope. Um, I don't realise it took about 48 hours to expose. And just, so Alison yes. is adjusting the telescope uh, using her great skill. That's right, just <laughs> fiddling around. Pointing it at the sun. Yeah. This is a special sun-looking-at telescope. Because, of course, the sun moves across the sky, doesn't it? Like it everything does. else. It moves. Well, it's actually the Earth moving. Of course. It's the Earth moving around. How inconsiderate of the Earth to do that. As she points the telescope at the sun. But never, ever do this with an ordinary telescope. Because you would do serious damage to your eyes. Absolutely. And that's a really, really important thing to remember. Can you, if you look through there... Yep. You have to move your eyes around a little bit. But Shall I remove see. my glasses? Yes, you should see a... So oh, there's a red sun. That's right. And wow. If you, it might come into better focus. Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, wow, that's amazing. You're right, there's no sunspots whatsoever. No sunspots whatsoever. Is that good or bad? It's, it, it's not good or bad. There's a, it goes in an 11-year cycle. Yeah. So you get most sunspots at one point, and then yeah. 11 years later you get most come back again. So right. in the middle you've got none, and we're in the middle of a sunspot cycle but don't sunspots so, so presumably we're at a low at the moment for sunspots yes. is that right yes. but don't sun, when there's lots of sunspots aren't there doesn't something else happen doesn't it affect the weather or something um, because of the solar weather it, it can do because you get magnetic storms ah right and it's those that actually disturb the satellites and the signals ah so it's the satellites that bear the brunt of it then yes right yes, okay yes that's fascinating so if there's one of those big solar flares, would you see it on this? Um, you, you would see it around the edge, yes. Right. You would see it, I mean, it would look very tiny because the sun is so huge. Yes. You'd see it, but you would see a little flare on the edge, yes. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Yes. And presumably yes. if there's a transit of Venus or Mercury you or something. You've seen that. I've seen that. Yes. 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 Get this little tiny scope out. Cause you... Did you see that joke in the paper where someone um, photoshopped a picture and they put a little transit van going across? <laughs> I didn't. No. Transit. Of, Lovely. Yes. This is the transit of <laughs> Venus. Yes. Yeah, very no, funny. I, no, I didn't see that. No. That's <laughs> very nice. Very nice. <laughs> a bit of fun at things. Well, thank you for letting me look okay. through your telescope. Pleasure. And have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank Hopefully you. the sun will stay out the rest of the day. I hope you find lots of other interesting things. Oh, I'll be, oh my mind's been blown already. Good. Good. 
I've already met one chap that's, that's driving individual atoms around. Yes. Very interesting. Thanks. alternative to the space shuttle for uh, space launches. It utilises a magnetic levitation track which basically propels and levitates the, the craft over a set of linear motors. The advantage of linear motors is that because it's powered by electricity, the amount of power you can supply to it is really dependent on the kind of technology you have available today. So as there's more technological advances you'll be able to supply more power to the track thereby increasing the speed. Uh, the main problem we're facing at the moment is uh, this, this research has been done before. I mean, they did it in 1999 and NASA funded the research. And their main problem was the aerodynamic drag they face. So what we've what we're trying to do is trying to build it inside a concrete tube, and which you have two side by side. So there'll be two chambers, uh, one empty and one full of air to start with. And you depressurize the chamber, reducing the pressure almost to zero psi trying to create a state of vacuum. As you do that, the second chamber fills up with all the air. You propel the craft to an optimum speed and then you start releasing gas mixture back into, into the track, thereby increasing the pressure. You combat the drag by using a scramjet or a ramjet within, within the track. And obviously as it takes off, it maintains the speed. Uh, the advantage of using two or more tanks together is that you can have simultaneous launches. You can la literally launch crafts uh, within seconds of each other. But because they're reusable, the cost per flight is quite low. It's much lower than the spacecraft. And obviously it can be tweaked and modified to adapt to other situations. So it's not just for space, space travel, it could be commercial use as well. It could cut flight times from say New York to Japan to under two hours. That'd be quite good. Well, that was Tane Shamra of Engineering and Design, and he's working on something that could uh, really speed up travel. Well, all this was getting too much for me, and I, I needed to rest my brain a bit and, and just mellow and just chill out a bit. And what better way to end the day than go up to the design show, which was in another place of the university, and just meet some of the students that had come up with um, some clever designs and just see what they were up to. Basically, it's, it's all down to this. It's a thermoelectric module. Yes. It basically acts as a heat pump. One side gets really cold and one side gets really hot. Yeah. But for it to get really cold, you need to disperse the heat generated by yes, the hot side. Yes. So what I've done is I've incorporated a cooling system, like a liquid cooling system, yes. which draws away the heat into a radiator, which is yes. on the, uh, by the gentleman's leg. So is that leg. heating, is that in, in environmental terms, is it heating up the rest of the room? You could say that, you could say that. But it's only heating as much as it's cooling. So the net heat gain is zero, well, more no, except, for, uh, except from the engine. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, there are certain inefficiencies. Yeah, you're yeah. just moving the heat from one yeah. place to another. Yeah. Hopefully the room should be quite air-conditioned. Yeah, yeah. But so also in these energy-efficient times... In these energy-efficient times, yeah. I've designed it with this. It's basically, it is designed to have infrared, an infrared detection system in yes. each one, if you can hear it. Uh-huh. Ah. So it's not on unless something's in it. It's only on if it's got a drink inside it. That's clever. To be economic. So well, that's yeah. why that one wasn't cold when I put my hand in. <laughs> no, no, no. 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 
this is what so this is the, the product name is what Arctic, Arctic Eclipse. Ellipse. Ellipse. Arctic Ellipse. Have you got a website, Ar- sir? Um, no, sir. I'm not very good with websites. Okay. I'm good with tables. <laughs> yes, you have. He's, he's lying. It's www.arcticellipse with two L's. Dot com. Ellipse. Clever guy. It's basically a table with holes in, and it holds your drinks. Put your drink in. Drink stays cool. But I can imagine that. This looks, is this, are you in charge of this, sir? Yes, I am. Now, I dreamt about this design. Did you know? Where a car goes down into a thing, and it gets shunted off to the side, and the thing comes back. Is that how this works? Uh, this one here, you come in through the entrance module here. Sorry, let me just, because this, this is audio. Okay. What I'm looking at is like a circular polo mint sort of car park, with the cars arranged radially around a central hole. Now, now tell me how it works. Sorry, who are you, first of all? Uh, my name is Dominic Ballard. I'm a third-year student doing product design at Sussex University. Yeah. And and um, you enter through one of the modules on the outside, which leads the car straight into a turntable placed in the centre of yeah. the so-called hula hoop, as you may call it. Yeah. And that rises up on a scissor lift. Yeah. It will then turn to one of the consecutive spaces, which you can drive straight into. And the main emphasis of this is it's a temporary car park. It's not permanent, it's temporary, and it flat packs IKEA style, so you can move it on the back of a lorry to site to site. How, high, how many stories by could it go in theory? In theory, indefinitely. Right. But this one here, this model's only two. That is so clever. Has it got a name? Has your product got a name? Um, well, it's MTM Car Parks, the company. Yeah. The MTM is an, ac- an, sorry, an acronym for Multi-Story Temporary Modular Car Parks. That's fantastic. Well done. Thank you very much. Your own idea? Yes, it is. Did you have it while you were in the shower or while you were asleep? Or? Uh, well, no. It was um, The brief was set to me by the university. Yeah. So they told me to design some kind of a smart urban parking parking system. And just in my market research, I brought together lots of different ideas from other concepts and came up with this. Yeah, it's completely original and there's nothing else like it on the market that I can assure you. It's fantastic. Well done. Thank you very well much. <laughs> what have we got here then? It's a, it's a wireless speaker system for use with a, with a laptop. Um, okay. Yeah. Every sound from your desktop is streamed directly to the speakers. Oh, let's have a look at it in action. <laughs> there appears to be no wires coming out of the back apart from the power and just a couple of wires joining them together. Yeah. And it's got an aerial. Yeah. The aerial. Um, sounds transmitted using the inbuilt wireless function of modern laptops. Oh, it uses the wireless network. Yeah, yeah. So it's, so it's actually using a digital network to transfer the sound. Yeah. That is clever. Now, that is you can, very clever. You can, you can use them in ad hoc mode, so it's yeah. just the computer and the speaker. Yeah. Or you can use it as part of a wireless network and transmit the sound from any laptop. Now that is very clever because I thought it was just like using normal radio waves just to transfer the analogue sound but no, it's actually using the wireless so that those speakers have got an IP address. They have and then right. you can use the internet browser to log in and change all the settings. Oh, that is, that is clever. Yeah. That is clever. Are you the only one that's you to have done this? In this form, yeah. Right. Because other systems rely on, uh, on extruding adapters which would Stick out the side and like prone to breaking if you take yeah. it onto your bed or something. So there's nothing to put on the laptop because it's just using its inherent wireless. Yeah, yeah. that is very and clever. Have you, has the product got a name? I call it Reverb 8. Reverb 8. Have you got a website? I have. Go on, 
Reverb8.com www.reverb and the number 8.com Fantastic I'm seriously impressed because I'm, I'm, I'm a network man you see traditionally and um, um, this is a fantastic this is brilliant yeah, it is. It is. so when did you have the idea when you were in the shower or something or when you were asleep or? yeah well, it's just been a problem I've had for a while I've always had my speakers at my desk and yeah. then go and lay on my bed to play around do something else so does this mean that you could put your speakers next to your wall and pick up your neighbour's mp3 playing yeah, and stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or for using Skype you know you can tune into what they're saying yeah. spy on people but my personal interest and my own problem have led me to to build this project. So you had a problem which you solved yourself and you ended up with a problem you can give to other fans. Yeah. This is brilliant. Yeah. This is brilliant. It is amazing. Are you involved in it? Uh, no, I'm involved with the space rather than the individual oh, projects. Okay. Thanks for talking about it. Okay, cheers. <laughs> Oh, what a fantastic day that was. Ingenious. And that happened at the University of Sussex on Wednesday the 13th of July 2007. Well, I'm pretty brain dead after all that. Let's let the Mayor of Brighton & Hove have the last word. So, Carol Theobald, the Mayor of Brighton & Hove. So, it's been very good today, hasn't it? Oh, it's, it's been wonderful. I mean, I, I, I've been... I thought it was brilliant what, what they've done with the awards uh, team up there. And uh, two of them won a joint prize today. But they all deserved a prize, really. They were extraordinary. They, what they have invented... As I did say that they should all go in for the lion's den. And they, you know, they'd all pass. They probably would. They yeah. would, yeah, they would. Yes. yes, I particularly like the, the table that calls your drinks. Yes, I like that one. Mm. I'd, I'd like to have one of those at home, definitely. Well, I think I would as well. <laughs> I we could do with one here now, couldn't we? Yeah, we could, good, brilliant. Mm. So I'm sure he'll get definitely somewhere with that. I think he will. Yeah. Most of them, I think, will. They do very well indeed. Yeah. And they, they must have put an awful lot of time and effort in their projects. Yeah. And of course, it goes toward their exams as well, doesn't it? So it does, yeah. But that's, that's, that's excellent, really. Well, thank you very much, Tom. So thanks very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you go to the main website for the show, which is www.eventfulbrighton.org, you can see the show notes for this episode with any relevant links to anything that was mentioned. Also, you can leave comments against each show on the site, and do feel free to email any comments or suggestions to feedback at eventfulbrighton.org. So we'll see you next time. Wireworldproductions.com